0: Welcome to Heart to Heart Nurses, brought to you by the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association. PCNA's mission is to promote nurses as leaders in cardiovascular disease prevention and management.
1: We're so excited for the opportunity today to talk to Dr. Carolyn Ho about precision medicine. And we have a lot to get to, but I'd first like to get to know Dr. Carolyn Ho. Could you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Thank you so
0: much for inviting me to participate in this podcast, um, and it's also a real pleasure to be talking to the nurses because we know that the nurses are who gets it done for all of clinical medicine. Um, and so I am the medical director of the Cardiovascular Genetics Center at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I have been fascinated by human genetics, you know, you know, for my whole career, basically, and you know how understanding um, the genetic basis of disease or how. Uh, mutations in certain genes can cause disease. Gives us such an incredible leg up into understanding what's important in, in disease mechanisms and disease biology, um, and, and then leveraging how we can use that information to improve the care of our patients and our families that suffer from these conditions.
1: That sounds great. We're really looking forward to our conversation today. So let's get started talking about how to assess for familial disease. So
0: familial disease. Um, can be present in all sorts of different cardiovascular conditions. So you can think about um, familial hypercholesterolemia, um, to familial cardiomyopathies, to familial rhythmic syndromes, so even you know, f- uh, familial sudden death syndrome. So it's important to try to have you know your radar up a little bit um, to see if that might be what's going on. Um, and so one easy way to do that is to try to make a. a a Pedigree, or you know, get a, a structured family history from um, patients that you might encounter that um, that uh, might have one of these um, potentially genetic conditions. So you start with your patient, and you ask them um, systematically. You know, tell me about your um, your parents. Um, you know, you know how old they are. You know how you know what um, conditions they might have. You know how old they are when they might have passed away. Um, and then you just work sit- systematically through each side of the family. So. First, the maternal family. So um, we usually say to do a three-generation pedigree. So you want to start with their parents, and then the kids, and then you know go up or down depending on um, where your particular patient sits in their family, Um, and just you know. Try to go through each um, uh, relative in, in turn. So, um, maternal um, aunts, uncles, um, and your maternal grandparents, um, paternal aunts, uncles, and paternal grandparents, and also um, their children. Um, and, and in that way, you might be able to pick out whether there might be a pattern of people having something um, that is suspicious or you know, kind of t- helps group together.
1: So I like the idea of having that three generations of information. I suspect that's not always an easy thing, based on families. Is Indeed. that right? Yes, <laughs> and it's time consuming, and that's you know why I think a lot of times you know in our rushed uh,
0: you know clinic environment where you know you're stacked up with patients and you know, you you only get fifteen or twenty minutes for an encounter, it's really hard um, to fit in. Um, and you know because we're very interested in this, um, we have a, a structure set up to like send um, uh, patients an email or a message through. Um, 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 through uh, our EMR to say before you come to your appointment, you know, try to f- uh, fill in this information. Um, so that can help um, with with time savings. Um, and it's also, like you said, not always easy to um, get a family history. And you know what we've learned and what has been proven um, throughout time is that women come from bigger families than men because you know women tend to like remember about their their families. Um, um, and you know have a little bit more information. So um, and so there's usually a person in the family that you know is a family you know genealogist and you know kind of remembers stuff about the family. So you know giving your patients a little bit of warning, you know allows them to, you know, to contact that person and you know try to fill in the blanks a little bit if they don't have um, great knowledge of their their family history. So that's one way to to try to do it. Or. Um, you know, just um, you know, trying to be as efficient as possible um, in the clinic visit, and you know, uh, you know, giving the patients homework um, to you know to report back um, uh, if you know they need to gather some more information, if that would be helpful.
1: That sounds like a great strategy in terms of giving them a little extra time so Mm -hmm. they aren't aren't trying to think of it as they're sitting in the clinical setting maybe in their paper gown um, and and, and trying to remember their family history. and then like texting, you know, know, Aunt Fran who like knows everything. So that's a great way to do that. So uh, the next step that we probably need to talk about is about genetic testing. So could you talk a little bit about that process?
0: Yeah. So if um,
1: you could have somebody that has, you know, a classically
0: um, genetic disease, or if um, your exploration of their family history, you know, suggests that there's um, a genetic disease, then you can think about um, offering genetic testing. Um, and in um, current day, um, this is arranged usually by um, phenotype or by disease type um, and arrayed onto uh, a, a disease-based panel. So if you have a patient that comes in with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, um, you can uh, uh, think about ordering a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy um, genetic testing panel. And there are a handful of different genetic testing companies that offer these things they, um, you know, you can go to um, their various websites. they try to make it as easy as possible. Um, and, you know, there's a set panel of genes that pretty much every company um, uses and they're pretty much the same across all the, the different um, uh, all the different companies um, um, uh, but genetic testing is not the same as ordering a cholesterol level or a potassium level it's um, you know you there's a consent form that needs to be um, downloaded that the patient has to consent to um, uh, you know having the genetic testing um, Run the provider can also provide um, consent in lieu of that if you're doing uh, some of these discussions um, uh, virtually, um, and the um, results are much more complicated um, than you know just saying you're cholesterol is you know 200 or your, you know, or you know we need to give you more potassium. Um, so that's another thing to think about. So um, if you have the ability to work with a genetic counselor or um, refer your patient to um, a provider, like a, either cardiovascular genetics providers or just medical genetics provider, that can really be helpful. And also an important part of um, genetic testing is the pre-test um, and post-test um, genetic counseling. So you want to make sure that um, that the the patient has the appropriate expectations in terms of what genetic testing can tell us, and what it can't tell us, um, um, and that can be um, oftentimes really well handled uh, by working with um, with genetic counselors to try to provide that information. Um, but the logistics of performing it, um, you know, other than that, are relatively easy. The patient can has a blood sample sent in, or they can even have saliva collected. The all the um, the genetic testing companies can provide saliva collection kits that you know the patient spits into it to a certain volume, gets sent in, um, the genetic testing gets run, um, and results get returned. The genetic testing co- companies also try to make it as user friendly as possible for the provider and, and the patient, um, uh, both in terms of logistics and cost. Um, they usually have um, payment protection uh, Strategies in, in place so that the out-of-pocket costs is, can usually be defined upfront before um, testing is initiated, um, and it's usually somewhere in the neighborhood of um, you know $200 or, or less. So it is much more accessible than it used to be in terms of you know when um, you know, we were completely um, hampered by whether insurance would co- um, cover it or not, and when costs were really high. Um, uh, you know, so it is more accessible. But I think that one of the difficulties of genetic testing is just how complex the information
1: is. So for patients who receive information from a genetic test that they are positive for a disease, let's say familial hypercholesterolemia or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, at that point then that would trigger a cascade screening. So we'd be looking at other relatives getting information through a genetic test as well and going through that genetic process. Is that an accurate assessment? Exactly, so the, the, one of the most practical
0: uses of genetic testing at this time um, is to Uh, Well, it's twofold, really. One is that it can help us to precisely um, determine the disease that's present in um, the initial relative or the proband, we call it, the first person in the family to be diagnosed with the disease. Um, A lot of uh, these conditions can have um, a fairly low resolution clinical phenotype um, that um, can span through um, several different distinct diseases, so it can tell us you have exactly familial hypercholesterolemia caused by mutations in the LDL receptor, or you have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy caused by you know the classic sarcomere mutation. So they can, and you don't have cardiac amyloid, you don't have Fabry disease, you don't have um, uh, you know other uh, conditions that can you know cause you know a, a grossly similar phenotype. Um, so it can help clarify ambiguous diagnoses. And then it can help inform um, and really refine uh, family management. So rather than saying you're at risk for having um, this condition because you're in a family where somebody has um, the condition, we can um, we can use um, predictive genetic testing, um, testing a family member t- uh, to see yes, no, did you inherit this uh, mutation or not, um, to definitively identify those at risk. So those relatives that did inherit um, the genetic variant um, uh, can be counseled that they are at risk for developing disease. It's not a guarantee that they'll get it because the penetrance or the likelihood that you will develop disease in the face of having um, a disease-causing um, mutation is not 100%. So We can't say when or even if they'll get disease or how severe it will be, but we can say you're at risk for developing disease, we should follow you. Um, Um, And those that do not um, carry the variant um, can be reassured that they're not um, at at risk. We can dismiss them from the longitudinal family follow-up that we would usually recommend. um, And we can um, reassure them that their children are not at risk. Um, But because our knowledge of uh, these things is not perfect, um, we always say, you know, if you develop symptoms or if you develop any other features um, down the road, you should come back and we should take another look. Um, So that's how genetic testing can really help us refine um, family management.
1: We're with Dr. Carolyn Ho talking about precision medicine. We're going to take a quick break. You are cordially invited to join the PCNA member community. Our association by nurses and for nurses provides opportunities to network, learn, advocate, and even be recognized for the amazing work that you do each and every day. Check out pcna.net slash member. Also look for in-person learning and networking in your own area as part of PCNA's regional chapter programs. Look for the chapter nearest you at pcna.net slash chapter. We are back with Dr. Carolyn Ho discussing precision medicine, and there's a lot more to genetic testing than just getting the results. So why don't you lead us into the next step of what what we would do with that information? Yeah,
0: yeah. so genetic testing is um, really kind of thorny and complicated, um, and you know it's important to um, you know make sure that people go into the testing understanding you know what we can and cannot um, learn. Um, and that once the results are available, um, to make sure that we understand um, the, the result as best possible. Um, so so genetic testing may not always crack the case. Um, a lot of times, um, the, the genetic testing may be negative, meaning that no um, uh uh, clinically important variant was identified in that panel of, you know, 12, 30, 100 genes that was analyzed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that genetic disease is not present. It means that we weren't able to find it when we were looking at the usual suspects. Um, so genetic disease may still be present. Um, if there's a family history um, of disease in the family, then that family should still um, undergo clinical um, follow up. So all at risk relatives should still kind of uh, uh, come uh, forth for. Serial uh, clinical screening for cardiomyopathy, or have their lipid panels um, checked if they you know, if it's hypercholesterolemia or, or such. Um, um, and genetic testing um, can also be um, uh, ambiguous. Um, there, we don't completely understand all of human genetic variation, um, uh, so sometimes we can't firmly. Uh, figure out whether a a variant in a gene of interest is capable of causing disease or not. And so that um, is uh, flagged as the genetic testing companies as a variant of uncertain or unknown significance, um, which is a plague to everybody um, because it's an ambiguous result that means, you know, there's something here. We're not sure if it's um, important or if it's just uh, part of the background genetic variation. And so we cannot use that variant um, in predictive testing for the family. Um, We um, counsel that the uh, family should just be screened clinically. um, And then um, because, you know, sometimes we do get smarter over time, we should reassess. Assess um, on at some regular basis. You know, touch base with the genetic testing company. Maybe um, have um, a, a genetic referral every few years to see if knowledge has um, progressed and that we're able to cleanly um, define uh, the variant as either disease-causing or not.
1: Great, wonderful information for our listeners. And I, I'm hoping that you could. Focus in a little bit on uh, new therapies that are available for some of these cardiovascular genetic conditions. Obviously, we're not going to have time to cover everything about everything, but maybe some highlights that you'd like to share.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a really a fun and exciting time to be involved in um, cardiovascular genetics because for so many years we really didn't have anything and we would just repurpose what was being used um, to treat other cardiovascular um, disorders for you know, our um, you know favorite conditions. Um, but there are now disease-specific and disease-modifying therapies available for cardiac amyloidosis. There's been just an, um, you know a really exciting um, advance in therapies that help to. Stabilized transthyretin, um, which is one of the um, main proteins involved in um, forming the amyloid fibrils. Um, transthyretin um, can either be the normal wild type, which for some reason um, goes off the rails and decides to form um, amyloid, or there can be mutations in the, in the transthyretin gene that similarly cause um, transthyretin amyloidosis. Um, and there are new um, uh, stabilizers for that, and there's some um, gene-targeted therapies that have been developed. And for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, better understanding of the mechanisms, um, how the sarcomere is, um, you know, is abnormal. You know, what is different about the sarcomere in patients with um, HCM, or you know, because of the, uh, the genetic variants that has allowed us to understand um, that it's um, a more hypercontractile, less energy um, efficient um, um, sarcomere, and uh, myosin inhibitors have been developed to try to counteract um, those fundamental um, pathophysiologic abnormalities. Um, those have been through clinical trial. Um, um, a phase three trial was completed on um, a myosin inhibitor called M- uh, mavacamten. It's going to come before the FDA at the end of April and that might soon be uh, clinically available um, in the clinical trials. It was um, really um, quite uh, beneficial in improving feel and function in patients with obstructive HCM, and there are new agents um, in development, and these myosin inhibitors may be effective for uh, non-obstructive HCM because of uh, their ability to potentially improve diastolic function, and along the same lines, they might be effective for HEFPEF, you know, and maybe we'll finally have um, an effective uh, treatment for some patients with HEFPEF. With and, and there are also more um, agents in development that might spe- more specifically um, target um, diastolic dysfunction and, um, and also target other components of the sarcomere um, to, to really see if we can um, advance how we take care of these patients.
1: Well, there certainly have been a lot of exciting advances that you've discussed with us today. If our listeners want to learn more, can you provide some resources Mm -hmm. that they could seek? Um,
0: So, there's um, a primer on genetic testing that we published um, in uh, JAMA Cardiology a few years ago, and the first um, author was Allison Serino. Um, um, And so, I would recommend looking at that because it really helps to uh, spell out um, how um, and when to think about implementing um,
1: genetic testing. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that I forgot to ask? <laughs> yeah, this has been a great journey, and it's been a really um, uh, fun time talking to you about oh. this. Uh, we have so enjoyed having you on our podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your expertise with us. We've been speaking with Dr. Carolyn Ho about precision medicine. I'm your host, Geraldine Warfield, and we will see you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Heart to Heart Nurses. We invite you to visit PCNA.net for clinical resources, continuing education, and much more.